Bethlehem. Beautiful star of Bethlehem, shine on. Thank you all. Beautiful job. Thank you, Levi. Tremendous job. Well, I'm telling you what, it's good to be in the Lord's house. Thank the Lord for each one of you that came out. I'm telling you, I hope each of you have had a good start to your Christmas already. And some of you were probably up early. Some of you used the opportunity to sleep in. You know, everybody celebrates differently. But hey, I hope all of you have had a good start to your Christmas. Wonderful to see each and every one of you here this morning. We're going to be going to Luke chapter chapter number two. I know that we've heard a lot from Luke chapter number two lately, but hey, I've been doing a series leading up to this, right? So I'm still staying on track with the series, but we're going to be in Luke chapter number two this morning looking at the birth of Christ. Now, as we've studied Luke chapter, uh, the book of Luke chapter number one, we've seen that there's a series of events uh, that have been taking place in Luke chapter number one. You've seen that there was the angel that appeared to Zacharias and told him, said, hey, your wife Elizabeth is going to have a son, and this son is going to be the one who will be the forerunner for the Messiah. Then we see that six months later, an angel appeared to Mary and said to Mary, you have been chosen to be the mother of the Messiah. Boy, some exciting things are taking place. We've seen how Mary went to the home of Elizabeth, and whenever she's there, the babe, John the Baptist, leaped in the womb, and Elizabeth began to prophesy concerning Mary, and then Mary responded in a song about the Messiah and who he was going to be. And then we come back over and we see that John the Baptist was born three months after that. And when John the Baptist was born, Zacharias, whose tongue had been tied, his tongue was loose. And Zacharias, there at the birth of his son John the Baptist, he also burst out in song, not about his own son, but about the son that his son would be proclaiming. And again, they told about the Lord Jesus Christ. So we see that uh, some time has passed uh, uh, from the time that Zacharias revealed received his revelation. Uh, Mary was spoken to by Gabriel. Uh, uh, so a lot of things are happening. Mary has been doing some traveling back and forth and a lot of things is going on. And now we're nearing the time uh, of Christ's birth. And we come to Luke chapter number two and in verse number one, it says, and it came to pass uh, in those days. So we are just carrying on the thought. Uh, all that's been going on, uh, the uh, Elizabeth's conception, Mary's conception, the travel uh, up to see Elizabeth, the travel back home, all that's been going on in those days, in those same days, it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. I know some political leaders who would like to do that again. But anyway, it says, And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria, and all went to be taxed, everyone, into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds, abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. 
And this shall be a sign unto you, ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, good will toward men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go, even unto Bethlehem, and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherd. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. Let's pray. Father, Lord, I thank you for this passage of Scripture. Lord, I thank you, Father, that from the time I was just a child, Lord, this passage has been something that was near to me and dear to me. I thank you, dear Father, Lord, that we have rehearsed it, we have reread it. Lord, we have shared it. Lord, we have preached from it. And yet, Lord, as we return to it again this morning and we read the story of your birth and how you came to be among us, Father, Lord, it warms our hearts once again. And Father, I pray that we never tire. I pray that we never become a accustomed. I pray, dear Lord, that we never lose the thrill of the fact that you, God, in, became flesh, that you might dwell among us. Uh, Father, Lord, that you might be able to provide a sacrifice. Uh, Lord, that you might wipe away the debt of our sin and provide a way that mankind could be restored to a relationship with you. I thank you, dear Father, uh, that you made through this birth uh, a way of salvation. You provided uh, a means uh, of eternal life. And Father, I pray we never lose the thrill of what you did for us. Thank you, Lord, for each of these folks that are here. Thank you, Lord, for those that have come to worship you. Now, Father, as we look at this passage of Scripture, I pray, dear Lord, that you will speak through me. I pray, dear Lord, that we will exalt you. We will exalt who you are. We will exalt why you came. And Father, I pray that you will speak through the words of this message to the hearts of every person. Rekindle in the hearts of the Christian, Lord, the thrill of being born again. And Father, Lord, I pray pray that you'll convict the hearts of the sinners, a Lord of their reluctance to put their trust in you. And Father, I pray that you'll work with us this morning. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness. Bless now your word, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. As we look at this passage of Scripture, of course we've looked at this passage many times. We've explained it many different ways, uh, many different outlines. Matter of fact, Joel and I were talking as I was working on this message last week uh, and uh, he was uh, he was reading over my notes as I was sitting there working uh, and he, he was commenting on my notes and I picked up my notebook and I flipped back and I said, yeah, this is the fourth outline that I've made on this passage of Scripture. I just I keep trying a new one and a new one until I come up with one that I like and there's many ways that it's been looked at. Many things have been preached out of this passage of Scripture. But this morning, I just want to look at the story of Christ's birth and point out some things about his birth. The first thing that we see whenever we dive in to Luke chapter number 2 is we see very clearly a prophecy being fulfilled. I believe it was Brother Jeremy last night in our Christmas Eve service. Boy, I tell you, I thank the Lord for the Christmas Eve service and for each of the men that spoke. Boy, what a blessing it was. And Brother Jeremy was speaking last night and he mentioned that that 333 prophecies
prophecies were fulfilled at the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Mathematically, that is absolutely completely impossible for man to scheme and have that happen. But God brought it to pass. And we see here in Luke chapter number 2, a prophecy fulfilled. I'll show you some ways that this prophecy was fulfilled. First of all, we see a prophecy fulfilled in the place of his birth. We know that he was born in Bethlehem. Whenever you try to quote this passage of Scripture, verse number 4 is the most difficult verse to quote. I've been able to quote this passage since I was a child, and I still will stumble on verse number 4. You come to verse number 4, it says, And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, under the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. I'm telling you what, you will get tongue-twisted every time you try to quote that passage of Scripture. But we know that he was born in Bethlehem. And so there's some things I want to point out about the fulfillment of prophecy in regard to the place of his birth. First of all, I want to look at the divine arrangement. The divine arrangement. Look in verse number 1. You see these five words, and it came to pass. Well, I'm telling you what, if there's a phrase in the Word of God that thrills my heart, it is the phrase, and it came to pass. You know, anytime God tells you that He is going to do something or He has promised in His Word that He's going to take care of something, you can mark it down. There will be a day when it will come to pass. Exactly the way He said, exactly when it needs to happen, exactly at the best time for you, at the time that will bring glory to Him, it will come come to pass. He had promised that there would be a Savior. He had promised that there would be a Messiah. And we see here in Luke chapter number 2 and verse number 1, and it came to pass. Now you say, well, Pastor John, I look at this and I understand your excitement about those words, but that verse isn't talking about anything that God did. It's talking about something that Caesar Augustus did. It came to pass that Caesar Augustus did something. So why are we saying that God did something? Well, that's what I want to point out to you this morning. There is some divine arrangement taking place here in Luke chapter number 2. Here in the first five words of this passage, we see the hand of God at work behind the scenes orchestrating the affairs of men. The Bible tells us, the Bible tells us that the hand of the king or the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord, and he turneth it whithersoever he will. We see here divine arrangement. God is at work behind the scenes orchestrating the affairs of men. As we consider this thought, not only do we see the divine arrangement, but we see the human engagement, the human engagement. It says in verse number 1 there, and it came to pass that in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. If you go to verse number 3, and all went to be taxed, everyone to his own city. Verse number 4, and Joseph also went up from Galilee. Verse number 5, to be taxed with Mary. Let me show you something. Here in this passage, we see God directing and influencing all the players both heathen and followers of God 
He's directing and orchestrating the lives of all the players in this story to act according to his plan that the scriptures might be fulfilled concerning the birth of the Savior. God came in and he began to, to dictate the affairs of men that what he had predicted would happen, when he said it would happen, where he said it would happen, exactly the way that he said it would happen, God came in and divinely manipulated the affairs of men. You say, wow, Pastor John, that's a little bit of some deep stuff that you're getting in there. Well, let me show you here. We see the timing of Caesar Augustus' decree. The Bible says that this decree went out when Mary was great with child. Now, whether or not Joseph and Mary knew of the prophecy in the book of Micah that we'll look at in just a moment concerning Christ being born in Bethlehem. I, I don't know if they were familiar with that prophecy or not. I would like to think that they were familiar with the prophecy, but the Bible doesn't tell us whether or not they knew that the Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem. But we do know from Bethlehem uh, to Nazareth where they were at was uh, probably about a 100-mile journey. And you don't go 100 miles just because when you travel by foot. Or even if you're riding that donkey that's such a big part of the nativity that's not in the Bible. Either way, you don't go 100 miles without uh, having good reason to. And so let's say that Mary and Joseph may have known that there was a prophecy that said the baby was to be born in Bethlehem, but going 100 miles, uh, uh, this is something that could possibly take up to a week of travel, especially with her expecting a child. This would be a week-long journey. You would have to have provisions for the trip. You'd have to have able to be able to provide meals along the way. You'd have to be able to carry some type of shelter to sleep under or have money uh, to purchase lodging. I mean, this is a big deal to make this trip. I can see Mary and Joseph talking. Mary says, Joseph, the angel said to me that I was going to bear the Messiah. But Joseph, we're in Nazareth. The, the scripture says he's to be born in Bethlehem. Joseph's like, I, I, know, I know Mary. I know that he's to be born in Bethlehem, but Mary, we, 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 we can't just pack up and go to Bethlehem. I mean, what would, what would people say when we got there? Well, how would we explain why we're there? Nobody's going to buy into us trying to tell them that we know that this is the Messiah and so we've traveled all the way to Bethlehem. I, I can see them trying to work their way through, thinking through, should we, should we pack up and go? Should we stay? I, I don't know. Perhaps they had never put two and two together concerning that prophecy in Micah. Maybe they hadn't completely understood that prophecy. Either way. When Mary was great with child, a couple of weeks before her due date, Roman soldier comes riding into town and he brings out the decree and he says, everybody, everybody must go to their hometown and pay their taxes. Everybody got to pack up and go home. Now just imagine if Mary and Joseph were familiar with this scripture and they had had the conversation that I just talked about and I know we're doing some assuming here but you follow along with me. Imagine that they had had that and Joseph comes in the house and he says, Mary, you're never going to believe. You are never going to believe what I just heard. Caesar Augustus has decreed that we all must go to our hometown to pay our taxes and we've got to leave now. Mary, do you know where I'm from? Do you know where my lineage goes back to? Mary, I'm from Bethlehem. Mary, 
scary. I know it's going to be a hard trip. I know we would have never chosen to do this trip. I know it's going to be expensive. But Mary, we are going to Bethlehem. Mary, if you had any doubts that the child you were carrying was the Messiah, God has just confirmed through divine arrangement. He has made it such that this babe is going to be born in Bethlehem. We see that there was some divine arrangement. There was some human engagement. We see the timing of the decree. We see the travel of Joseph and Mary hundreds of years before this taxing. Micah prophesied that the Savior would come from Bethlehem in Micah chapter number 5 and verse number 2. It says, But thou, Bethlehem, Ephratah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee... Shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting? At the exact time needed, the hand of God moved upon the affairs of men to divinely position his son in the exact town, at the exact time, to verify the veracity of the Messiah through the fulfillment of prophecy. The recognition of this, the recognition of God's hand moving men to accomplish his will, recognizing this in this passage ought to clarify in our mind that while sometimes God leaves man to his own actions, at any time that he desires, he can step in and dictate the affairs of men to accomplish his will. Whether, whether lost or saved, whether believer in God or denier of God, anytime he desires, he can take over your computer board and program you to do exactly what he wants you to do. God is in control at all times in all places. In addition to seeing the prophecy fulfilled in the place of his birth, we also see prophecy fulfilled in the premise of his birth. A couple of things that we see here. First, we see his miraculous arrival. His miraculous arrival. In Isaiah 7 and verse number 14, you know this verse. It says, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. What will that sign be? Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. In Luke chapter number 2 and verse number 7, the Bible says, And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. We see here that the prophecy was that a virgin would conceive. And here in Luke chapter number 2 and verse number 7, we see a virgin laying her firstborn son in a manger. We see prophecy fulfilled in the place of his birth. We see prophecy fulfilled in the premise of his birth. We see his miraculous arrival. Not only that, but when we look at the premise of his birth, we also see his common adornment, his common adornment. In verse number 7 it says, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes. Now I don't know, there's so many things in application. Brother Jeremy was making some application about this last night as well. So many applications we can see about being wrapped in swaddling clothes. But the one that I want to make this morning is this. God, the creator of the universe, the owner of everything, the controller of all that we see and we experience and we know 100% God completely 
under the care of his creation. A hundred percent God being held in the hands of a human man and a human woman being wrapped in the same cloth that any child would have been wrapped in in that day following the common practice for protecting a child after birth. God in flesh in the care of mankind. God became man. God took upon himself everything that you and I have ever experienced that he might be able to be the perfect sacrifice. Do you know that Jesus Christ could have came from heaven as a man and never went through childhood? He could have came as an adult man and just appeared here on earth and started his ministry and lived for three or five or ten years as a man and then been sacrificed. But no, he came as an infant. He came as helpless. He came as putting his trust into mankind. He came relying on his creation to take care of the creator. Why? He came that he might be the perfect sacrifice his common adornment, but then also the premise of his birth, uh, we see his humble accommodations. It says that they laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. There's a lot of discussion in Christian circles about the manger. Most typically it's presented as we have it here, a stable with a manger. Many times in Christmas plays, it's a it's the stable behind the inn that the innkeeper allowed them to stay in. Uh, many many people have speculated many different things. Some say it was in a cave. I, I, I'm going to be going to the Holy Land very soon, very much looking forward to that. And there are some places over there that they believe may have been the birthplace of the Savior. Looking forward to seeing those places. Some say that the, the, the manger he was laid in could have been a, a, a stable that was built onto a home of a family member and that he was there in the stable attached to the home of of a family member. Much speculation goes into where the stable exactly was. But it doesn't matter if it was a cave or a barn out back or attached to a house. He was laid in an animal's feeding trough. Doesn't matter where it was, it was not the finest accommodations. It was not the best place to be having a child. It was not any type of finery. It was not any type of special place. He was laid in a lowly place. He was there in a stable. He was born amongst the animals. He was laid in a feeding trough because there was no room for him in the end. Whenever I think about this, I realize that our Savior disregarded his royalty. He stepped down from his ownership. He submitted himself to the natural rules of man in regards to his own care and comfort. What are some of these rules of men? Well, we kind of follow the rule that first come, first serve. Therefore, there's no room for you in the end because somebody else got here before you did. It doesn't matter that you're the creator. It doesn't matter that you're the owner of everything. It doesn't matter 
better that you can open the earth and swallow this motel and stay wherever you want to. None of that matters. What does matter is you have submitted yourself to the natural rules of man and our rule that we follow is first come, first serve. We cater to the wealthy before we cater to the poor. We take care of the, of the noble before we take care of the peasants. This is the natural law of man. This is how we live. And Jesus, the creator of everything, submitted himself to the natural laws of man and took on humble accommodations at his birth. When God became man, he made himself accessible to all from the lowest to the greatest. By being born in the most humble of locations, he declared the message that whosoever will may come. He made it clear that there was no one who was excluded from him. He was available to one and to all. All who seek him are welcome in his presence. As we continue through the passage, first we see the prophecy fulfilled, but second we see a person revealed. On the night of his birth, an angelic host celebrated his arrival in the presence of some shepherds. And in their proclamation of his birth, they revealed the person and some things about the person who had just been born. Let's take a moment to look at this angelic revelation. In verse number 8 it says, And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. The angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. I see two things in this angelic revelation. First of all, I see a message of joy. It says there in verse number 10, I bring you good tidings of great joy. What I am about to tell you is reason to celebrate. What I'm about to share with you is something that is going to change the world. I am bringing you good tidings of great joy. In 1 Peter 1 and verse number 8, the Bible says, Whom having not seen, ye love, in whom though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. I am bringing you some tidings of great joy. We see this angelic revelation was a message of joy, but we also find in this angelic revelation a message of salvation. In verse number 11, the angel said, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. We see a message of salvation. Acts 4 verse number 12 says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Unto you, I'm giving you a message of joy. I'm giving you a reason to celebrate. I'm bringing you something that will change your life. What is it that I'm bringing to you? What is it that's going to cause this joy? What is it that's going to change your life? I'm telling you what it is. 
is a Savior has been born. The Old Testament way of slaying that lamb and spreading that blood and keeping the law no longer applies. A Savior has been born. Someone who is going to pay for your sin. Someone who is going to wash you and make you white as snow. Someone who is able to secure for you an eternity in heaven. Let me tell you, a Savior has been born. We see a message of joy and a message of salvation in this angelic revelation. But then following this angelic revelation, the Bible says, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God. And they also had something to say. Let's look here at their glorious proclamation. It says, glory, verse 14, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. Now we love to quote this verse, but there are those who will look at this verse and say, but there's still no peace. Well, this world's still in turmoil. The world was in turmoil in his day. It stayed in turmoil. They crucified him. The world that we live in, there's turmoil everywhere. What is this promise of peace? What, what is this promise of peace that they give? We see here in this revelation that he promises peace. In John 14 and verse number 27, he says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You see, he promises bringing peace to the individual. Well, I'm telling you, there's something about being able to have peace in the midst of a storm. I remember myself and a couple of my friends went fishing on Smith Mountain Lake several many years ago. We had us a bass boat out there, and we were doing some fishing, and out in the middle of the lake, and boy, we looked up, and the sky's just turning black. It's in the summertime, one of them good summer thunderstorms. We're like, uh-oh, we about to get rained on big time. And so we start reeling our poles in, putting our gear together. Before we could get everything together, I mean, it broke loose. Wind coming across that lake, and the lake was starting to get choppy, and the rain was pouring down, and we throttled the boat up and shot across the lake as hard as we could go. And there was a private uh, boat dock there that didn't have a boat in it, one of those covered boat docks. Uh, we shot that bass boat right up in that boat dock. And then all of a sudden, although the storm was still going on, all our sense of urgency was over. We got out of the boat. We stood on the dock. We watched it rain. We talked about how the lake looked and how pretty the rain was coming down. We even broke out in song, the three of us, and stood there and sang till the storm passes over, till the thunder sounds no more. We were completely at peace, completely enjoying life, completely satisfied, even while the storm was raging around us because we had individual peace. We were safe from the storm. And boy, I'm telling you what, whenever you have the salvation of the Lord Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit of God living on the inside of you. And you are going through this life. You will face storms. There will be trouble all around. There will be hardships. There will be frustrations. There will be difficulty. But if you rely on the Lord Jesus Christ, He can give you a peace that passeth all understanding. He can give quietness to the soul. He can give satisfaction 
satisfaction in a world of turmoil. He can give us a little bit of heaven here on earth if we put our trust in him. He said, I want to tell you, he said, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. Then he said, good will toward men. What is this good will toward men? We hear this phrase used oftentimes. I believe that what these angels are speaking about is God's good favor. What is that good favor? 1 Timothy 2 verse number 4 says, Who will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth? I believe the angels proclaimed that day, This news that we are bringing you is good will for everyone. God's good favor. His hand of salvation is going to be extended to every person who will accept his offer. So we see we see that there was some some verification also we see the physical the person of Christ was revealed through the angelic revelation. It was revealed through the glorious proclamation. But now thirdly, we see the person of Christ was revealed through physical verification. After hearing from the angels, the birth of Christ was verified through several instances of physical actions that resulted from his birth. After Christ was born, Several physical actions of men and women verified that the Messiah had been born. And let's look at those first. First, there was visual confirmation. Look in, look in chapter number 2 and verse number 15, and it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. First of all, I see that there was some visual confirmation. The angels proclaimed it. Now can you imagine the next day if the shepherds would have went into town and they would have said, you won't believe what happened last night? We were out in the field and suddenly while we were out in the field an angel appeared unto us and the angel told us that a Savior had been born and then there was a whole multitude of angels joined with him and this multitude of angels verified that a Savior had been born and that he was in Bethlehem and the person they're talking to says, so did you, did you go to Bethlehem? Yes, we went to Bethlehem. And did you see him? Well, we actually never found him. They say, you need to go get some sleep. You've been staying up way too late watching sheep. You need to get rested up. You never seen no angels. Nothing ever happened. But no, no, that's not the story they told. They said, well, did you go see it? And they said, oh, yeah. Oh, you better believe we went and seen it. As soon as them angels was gone and we was able to regain our composure, we took off to Bethlehem as fast as we could go. And when we got there, lo and behold, just like the angel said, there was the mother, there was the father, there was the babe in the manger, exactly like the angel had said it. It was there. There was visual confirmation that what the angel said was true. Matter of fact, if you want, you can go see him too. He's still there and you can go see him. Visual, visual confirmation. Not only was there visual confirmation, but we find that there was verbal communication. 
verbal communication. And when they had seen it, verse 17, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. You see, you thought I made that story up about people talking to them the next day. No, no, this is exactly what they did. They made known abroad. Everywhere they went, they told everybody exactly what they had seen. One time we were at the Outer Banks uh, up there fishing and I went out one evening. Actually, Melissa, I was at the house and Melissa had walked over to the to the uh, beach and we were right there real close. Uh, you couldn't quite see the water from the house, but it was just over the mound. And uh, she went over and she called me on my phone and she said, you got to come see this. I've never seen nothing like this in my life. Maybe some of y'all have seen this, maybe not. I don't know. She said, you got to come see this. I've never seen nothing like this in my life. And so I go over to the sand dune to see what she's looking at. And here comes the waves are coming in and it's, it's pitch black out. And when the waves crest, right on the top of the crest, far as you can see, both ways, it would turn neon blue like somebody turned a light on. Every wave, every crest, as far as you could see, when those waves would crest, they would light up like somebody turned on a strip of LED lights on top of them. They were just as blue as could be. We were standing there watching that. I was like, I've never in my life seen anything like this. I've never heard anybody talk about this. This is phenomenal. This is beautiful. I've never seen nothing like it. A fellow comes walking up the beach, and he said, hey, buddy. I said, yes, sir. He said, is that water turning blue? I said, yes, sir, it's turning blue. He said, well, I was just making sure I hadn't had too much to drink. <laughs> he said, I never seen nothing like that before in my life. And we stood there and watched that a little bit. And then finally we went on back to the house. The next day, I went to the bait shop. And I said, hey, did y'all see the water last night? And, of course, they live there, you know. Of course they seen the water. They're like, what about the water? I'm like, it was turning blue. When the waves would crest, it was turning blue, and they just kind of looked at me. I'm like, I'm serious. When the waves would crest, it would light up like a strip of LED lights. They're like, I didn't, I didn't see nothing like that. I'm out on the pier fishing. I'm like, hey, catch any fish? No. Did you see the water last night? What about the water? It's turning blue. No, I never seen nothing about the water turning blue. All day long, I told everybody about the water turning blue. I, that water turned blue. I'm telling you, the water turned blue. Finally, I come across an older gentleman. I said, did you see the water last night? Well, yeah, I seen the water. See, what that is, is that's a, that's a phenomenon that happens when plankton gets in the top of the water and the light from the moon hits it just right. Very, very rare. You Very rarely that you'll ever see this, but yes, I've seen it. It was so beautiful. I'm like, all right, I'm not crazy. We found somebody that knows about the blue light. But you know what? This is what the shepherds were doing. They were going around, and they were telling everybody, you ain't going to believe what we seen last night. We saw some angels last night. We saw a Savior in a manger last night. And everybody's looking at them like, huh, what? What are you talking about? And that brings us to the next... Uh, the next physical verification. We see in verse number 18 uh, that there were some uh, who were given to mental contemplation. Mental contemplation. It says in verse number 18, and all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. What are you talking about? Did angels appear? Is there a Savior? People began to wonder. It also says in verse number 19, but Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Mental contemplation. But in verse number 20, we see that all who saw him rejoiced in a personal celebration. It says in verse number 20, and the shepherds returned. Somebody got to go back and check on the sheep. But on the way back to the sheep, they were changed people. And they returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. This Christmas morning, let me tell you this. 
when you meet the Savior, it will make a change in your life. And you'll return back to your way of life, but there will be a personal celebration going on in the inside of you like you've never experienced before because there's something about meeting the Savior that'll change your life forever. We see here in Luke chapter number 2 the story of the birth of Christ, but I think the Lord is not just a story written in a historical book that we fantasize about. I thank the Lord that it's real. I thank the Lord that it's true. And I thank the Lord that although I didn't see him in the manger, there was a day when I met the Savior. There was a day when he moved in on the inside of me. And I thank the Lord that I go through every day of my life rejoicing in the fact of Emmanuel, God with us. Let's all stand to our feet. Let's all stand to our feet. As Miss Debbie makes her way to the piano this morning, if you're here this morning and you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, if you're here this morning and there's never been a time when you repented of your sins and turned to Christ for salvation, let me tell you there's nothing better that you can ever do. Many times people may fear. They'll be like, well, man, if I, if I, if I get saved, uh, I, then I, I can't sin anymore and I can't do the things I like to do anymore and I'm going to have to change. No, don't, don't worry. God will take care of that. He'll make a new you. He'll make a better you. And all those things that you're worried about now will no longer be a problem because God will take care of those things. As Miss Debbie plays, if the Lord spoke to your heart this morning, you come, you come.